without hypocrisy. Now, we know these words. We've read them many times. We know what they are. But we need to be reminded of them. And that's why the Apostle Paul says, to practice what you preach, you must have, you let love be without hypocrisy. In other words, it must be genuine. It must not be a fake. It must be sincere. It must not be sentimental froth, F-R-O-T-H. It is it is the agape love, God's love. Uh, it doesn't wear a mask. It is God's love. And Peter tells it so well in 1 Peter 4, 8, Above all things, have fervent love for one another. Very interesting. Jesus said it again in John 13 and verse 35, By this, all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Simple verses, but very profound, and I hope we listen to them today. If you don't have this kind of love, my dear friend, today, get it, will you? Because you see, this is the love that God has poured out into our hearts. We are told in Romans 5, 5, by the Holy Spirit, it's been given to us. So this love is at your disposal this very moment if you will begin to allow God to work in your life and use it the way he wants it to be used. This love is not reciprocal. This is so very important. This is not a reciprocal love. You see, so many times we, we, like to, um, we like to think that we give so that we can get. That's not what this love is all about. It is not reciprocal. It gives and gives and gives again with sheer delight in doing so, not expecting anything in return ever. That's the kind of love God wants you to display all the time in your life to everybody that you meet in everything you do. So the summary of this would be, you're not practicing, if you're not practicing what you preach, if, or that is you're not doing it, if you don't have this kind of love, this is Calvary's love. This is what Christ went to Calvary's cross to pave the way to make possible for you and me. Only believers can have this love, and even then they may not have it because of sin in their lives. So my friend, you are the judge, and you know if there's sin in your life that is preventing this kind of love to come out of your soul because of Jesus, then you can make those things right even today. The next way that we can practice what we preach is to hate evil. And of course, you would come to me and say, of course I hate evil. But listen, folks, do we really hate evil? Do we really? We have become desensitized to sin. We, the media, the movies, the radio, the TV have helped us get into the mode of being accustomed to evil. Uh, we get used to sin. It becomes a customary thing to the extent that we no longer are shocked by some things that present themselves. We are to hate evil. The only security against sin is to be shocked by it. Does evil shock you, my friend? Does it shock me? It is so important. Some get awful close to sin, as close as they possibly can. Listen to this little boy. He prayed this prayer. Lord, make me good. Not real good, but just good enough to keep from getting a spanking. 
Isn't that amazing? I hope that's not the way you are with evil. You just want to get kind of a little close to it. So you practice what you preach if you're hating evil. The third way to practice what you preach is to cling to that which is good. You see, see how interrelated all of these things are? Cling to what is good, verse 9. How does one do this? Well, in 1 Thessalonians 5, 21 and 22, there's a, a verse that has three little things in a row that are very interesting. It says, test all things, hold fast what is good, and abstain from every form of evil. Very practical admonition, of course, from the Apostle Paul again in Thessalonians. There was a man guilty of a serious crime, and he repented, and he was given an opportunity to, to set things right if he would do something which is very unusual. Listen to this. They told him, if you will take this container of water throughout the entire town where he lived, and at the end of the day, if you can come back here and report to us that you have not spilled one drop of water, you will be forgiven, you will be set free, and everything will be okay. What do you think was utmost on that man's mind that day? He wanted to keep that little bowl of water and not spill one drop of it. Folks, how much, how much do you cling to what is good? Is it so important to you that you would hold it and cherish it so, so wonderfully like that man did and come to the end of the day saying, Lord, I have been clean to that which is good. Thank you for helping me not to spill any of it out of my life. Well, we have played with sin long enough, my friends. It's about time we got down to business and understood that our spiritual soundness depends on how much we cling to that which is is good. What are you doing today to cling to that which is good? The fourth thing that Paul outlines in this wonderful section is, is be devoted to one another with brotherly love. Would you pay attention to this little one-line poem? This is a good one. To dwell above with saints in love, that will indeed be glory. To dwell below with saints we know, well, that's a different story. It's a different story in it. Sometimes we just don't, don't do it. This is referring to the new family tie that we have in Christ Jesus as believers in him. Be kindly affectionate one to another. MacArthur says that this is a devotion to other Christians with a family sort of love and based on personal attraction, not based on a, a personal attraction or desirability. So it's not, those things are not the governing um, matter in this situation. Brotherly love is that relationship between brother and sister in the family. That's why I always loved it in Brazil because we always called the Christians uh, brother and sister. Same in your country, right? Yeah. It's wonderful, sister so-and-so, brother so-and-so. And that's the way it is in the family. We're brothers and sisters in Christ. It's a great, great relationship. In 1 Thessalonians 4, 9, Now about brotherly love, we do not need to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love each other. And that's the agape, that's God's love. Wonderful. A good test is, is 1 John three fourteen. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love the brethren 
He who does not love his brother abides in death. Can you pass that test? Just a question. You see, you may have never been born again. Maybe you never have received Jesus as your personal Savior. So this is strange talk to some. That you can come into the family by faith in Christ and know what it means to have this precious and rich and wonderful relationship in Him. The fifth test to find out if you're practicing what you preach is, uh, is very, very good. It says in, uh, in verse 10, in honor giving preference to one another. In honor giving preference to one another. This verse, if obeyed, evaporates jealousy completely. In other words, there's no, there's no room for jealousy if you are genuinely preferring one another in the family of Christ and out of the family of Christ. Um, verse 3 in this same uh, text says, Not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. That's a very, very, a very wonderful, um, wonderful thing. I, I read the story of a little girl by the name of Betty and another little girl by the name of Susan. And uh, Betty was from a very poor family. Susan from a very well-to-do family. They were in school, and there was a spelling bee, and they were going to give away a Bible. And Susan got up, and, and she spelled the word that they gave her to spell, and she did it incorrectly. And then Betty got up, and she spelled it correctly. So she got the Bible. On the way home, Susan's mother said, Susan, why... Did you misspell that word? You know very well how to spell it. She said, Mom, Betty is from a poor family, and she wanted so desperately to have the Bible, so I misspelled the word on purpose so I could give my preference to dear little Betty. What an attitude. What an attitude. You know, it says that later on she received a Bible and on the fly leaf of the Bible, Susan did, the one who lost the Bible because she misspelled the word. She received a Bible and it said the, on the fly leaf, in honor preferring one another. Really a, a great, great. And I read, I read something just yesterday which uh, touched me. You know, I wonder how much we prefer one another. I wonder how much, you know, you go through Scripture and there's, there is a whole series of verses on one another, how we are to love one another and comfort one another and all of these wonderful one another admonitions in Scripture. They're very, very special. And I read, a, I read of this situation. Of course, it's hypothetical, of course, but it, tell, it teaches the lesson. This man was ushered into a room where there was a huge bowl of soup on a big round table and around the table there were people seated and they all had great big wooden spoons attached to their right hands so they could reach over and get the soup the trouble is the handle the handle on the spoon was so long that you couldn't maneuver it around and get it back in your mouth to eat the soup see the predicament kind of sad this man was ushered over to another room, and there was the same table, same soup, well, another bowl, of course, and the same spoons. And the people around the first table were, were gaunt and, and miskept and uh, very just ugly people that shriveled up. They were, they were dying. And then around the other table, the people all looked nice, and they were happy and having a great time, and they all had the spoons on their, on their, on their hands, and they could, reach, they could reach the soup all right, and the man said, what is the difference? And he said, they've learned to feed one another. 
See the difference? Have we learned to feed one another, nourish one another, encourage one another, pray for one another? What a, what a great lesson from my heart. The sixth test for knowing if you're practicing what you preach, and me as well, serving the Lord, verse 11, serving the Lord. This is, um, this is a very active service if you read that verse. Uh, it, uh, it's very, very, it, it's, um, it just says, not lagging in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. So it's a very active kind of service, and that's what the Apostle Paul wants to teach us today. It is, it is to be done diligently, in other words, not lacking. It's to be done uh, not lacking any zeal. And I'm reminded of the great evangelist, D.L. Moody, who we've all heard about in years gone by. Uh, D.L. Moody was a great evangelist, and you know, he was a big man too. And uh, one night, and of course he worked, he worked uh, incessantly for the sake of Christ, winning souls for Christ, and he was just a busy man. And one night it is said that, he, that his prayer was this, as he, as he rolled his great big hulk into bed, he said, Lord, I'm tired. Amen. And he went to sleep. He'd been working diligently, you see. That was his prayer. It was short. Um, John Wesley rode his horse 60 to 70 miles a day and preached an average of three sermons a day for I don't know how many years. And in fact, I read a story one time that he lamented that at the year 86 years of age that he could not get up before 5.30 in the morning to begin his day. This service is to be done with the right attitude, you notice. The right attitude. This is to be done with a fervent spirit. One of the, one of the oldest blights on earth is lack of enthusiasm. Don't, don't you see it, folks, the lack of enthusiasm sometimes? Someone doing something, they just kind of humdrum, you know, and boy, just got to get it done, and the attitude is not really good. There's no diligence, no zeal. I love to see people who love to do what they're doing and do it well. And you know, Ecclesiastes 9.10 says, Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. What a great verse. What a great verse. This is a good one. You'll have to excuse the English. I'm going to read it as, as it's given, okay? A very slow-moving clerk did not show up one day, and someone asked the boss's son where he was. He ain't working no more, was the reply. Would you have anyone in mind for the vacancy, inquired the customer. Nope. Eddie didn't leave no vacancy. <laughs> he didn't do anything. What a testimony. <laughs> Folks, when you check out of life, are they going to say, he didn't leave a vacancy, he didn't do anything. What a shame. What a shame. Some in serving Christ are so weak that if they left the community, their absence would scarcely be noticed. Don't let it happen to us, dear people. Please, don't let it happen to us. Excuse the personal illustration. My dad, who was head of Bishop Paint and Glass on 4th Avenue in Jefferson, of which I've alluded in other messages here. When he, when he resigned, after many, many years as the manager and the boss of that area, they hired five people to take his place. 
Five people. Active, diligent, zealous. I love it. The seventh test, whether you are practicing what you preach or not, is in verse 12, rejoices in hope. That's a great verse. It means joyful in hope. It's, It's optimistic. You see, these kind of people say a glass is half full. But those who don't feel this way say, oh, the glass is half empty. See the difference? It's either half full or half empty. Depends on if you're rejoicing in hope and you've got this kind of an attitude. These are the steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord because they know that their labor is not in vain in the Lord. 1 Corinthians 15, 58. These are the ones who, were, who, were sor- who, who when sorrowing are rejoicing, who are poor but make many rich, and who have nothing but possess all things. 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 10. These look, from the gloom, these look from the gloom to the glory. These see the future, not just the fog. These see the sunrise, not just the sunset. What a difference. Rejoicing in hope. You see, there is hope. Thank God. Some people, I, I think um, the favorite verse of some people is this, and it's good, and it, and it came to pass. That's, that, you find that little phrase in Scripture now and then, especially back in Exodus, I know. Um, it came to pass. Rejoice in hope. A great artist was asked what the best picture, what is the best, they said, sir, what is the best picture you've ever painted? You know what his answer was? He said, the next one. (laughs) Rejoicing in hope. There's always hope. More, there's more down the line. Don't give up. Another person was asked um, about his life and he said, well, too bad I failed. Why do you say that? Because I've lost any hope of improvement. See, folks, if you think there's no room for improvement in anything you ever do, you'll not be rejoicing in hope. But thank God you can rejoice in hope and realize that there's plenty more to do, a lot to do. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Colossians 1.27. In Titus 2.13, we know this is the, 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 the rejoicing in hope, the one we like looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, Titus 2.13. And dear uh, Lucille Shelton didn't have to wait for that rapture. She's already with the Lord, absent from the body, present with the Lord. Now, there's another one. There's, there's the eighth test of whether you are practicing what you preach, and that's in verse 12. It says, patient in tribulation. And probably you're going to say, oh, don't start meddling, preacher. Uh, 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Let's read it again. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. And it's not. And even if there is tribulation, that's okay because it's all kind of part of the package. Psalm 37, 7 gives us some wonderful uh, counsel. Wait on the Lord. Rest in the Lord. Wait patiently for Him. Do not fret because of Him who prospers in His way. So many wonderful, wonderful admonitions from Scripture about be patient in tribulation. What about James 1, 2? I used this for years when we were traveling for shepherds and talking about our daughter Joy, who was mentally disabled, and all of the different things that, that happened with respect to finding out about her condition out there in the remote Amazon jungles and go over, over the Andes Mountains and going to Bogota to get 
get uh, uh, medical help and all of this, you know. Uh, it says in James 1, 2, Count it all joy when you fall into various trials. See, God never makes any mistakes. Isn't that amazing? He allows us to go through the trials of life for a reason. There is a reason. The blacksmith keeps the metal in the flame to make it pliable. Doesn't that make sense? Yeah, in the flame. It's tribulation for the piece of metal. God keeps tribulation coming our way to make us pliable to his will. Those who will live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Some people think they should be exempt for that, I suppose, because they think they're better than someone else. No way, Paul says, it's through those trials that we grow strong. Look at the ninth test. It's in verse 12 also. Continue steadfast in prayer. Paul taught us to pray without ceasing. Wonderful verse, isn't it? I've given you illustrations how I learned that from my mother years ago. My mother never, ever, ever did anything without praying, even making a cake. Well, how many cakes did she make in their 65 years of marriage? Oh, a lot of them. Why would she need to pray to ask God to help her if she baked a cake? I can't tell you that, and she's not here to ask, but I know why, because she knew that she just liked to talk to the Lord about everything. Take it to the Lord in prayer. There was a servant girl, and her boss kept her oh so busy. And they came, someone came to her and says, don't you, don't you get frustrated because you, 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 can, you can do so little for the Lord, you just can't do much for the Lord because your boss keeps you so busy. And it was true. And she, with a great smile, she says, oh, it's, it's okay. I take the newspaper to my bedroom, and I open it up to the the births, and I read about the little babies that are born, and I ask God to bless those little babies and help them to grow up and to learn about Jesus and receive Him as their personal Savior and be fine Christian boys and girls. Then I go over to the section of the, the newlyweds and I pray for the brides and the grooms. She doesn't know them, of course. She just reads their name. But that's her prayer manual. And she prays that this couple will be united and that they will come to know Jesus as their Savior. And she just goes on. And then she says, I go over to the, over to the obituaries and I read all of those and pray for each one and their families that they will receive God's comfort during this time of bereavement. Isn't that precious? A girl who had no time to really serve the Lord like we would say, oh, she's got to be out there busy doing this and that. Oh, no. In her own way, she just takes the paper and makes it her prayer request. What a lesson. What a lesson. And it's so very, very wonderful. In our church, we have two prayer meetings a week. One on Wednesday night at 6.30 in the third floor and at, at uh, 2 o'clock on Thursday, right down in this fellowship hall. We'd be delighted to have you come and just make your request known to God as we fellowship together. What a wonderful thing. There's the tenth test for practicing what you preach. It's in verse 13. Helping the needy saints. I just love this one. Sharing mutually with others. Galatians 6.10 says, Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, especially to those who are of the household of faith. And what a, what a lesson that is. You know, we had a dear lady in Brazil. Her name was Rita. And uh, she was in her 80s. She lived in an old folks' home. That's what they call them down there. And he had nothing. I don't, she had 
well, she had a little bitty bit because when our son, Raleigh, came home to the States to go to school, she ordered the one in charge of her account, which was her son, I want you to send this amount of money to Raleigh in school because I want to help him. She had nothing. I don't know how she did it, but she did it. She was helping the needy saints. She was in need, but she would never know it, and you would never know it. We used to take, pick her up every Sunday morning, take her to church, and as we would, as we would get kind of near the City of Hope, where our church was, that's a nice name for a church place, City of Hope, she would, she would say, Mr. Ralph, are we getting close to church? And I'd say, Rita, we're almost there. And she'd say, praise the Lord, and start singing. She knew every song in the songbook. Well, you know, what a wonderful thing. Sharing, sharing with others who are in need. Someone asked R.G. Letourneau, the great earth-moving machine inventor, they asked his wife about her clothes. I don't, want, I don't know how they framed the question because I don't know how they said it, but, oh, they said, why don't you have a fur coat? She certainly could afford it. She said, uh, why don't you have a fur coat? And here's what she said, I can't afford it. You know why? Because they gave their money to others, missions all over the world. John Slenner, how many of you remember John Slenner, the missionary? Yes, he's spoken here many a time. He's now with the Lord. He died just a few months back in his mid-90s. He's with the Lord. Um, John Slenner went to an airport in California because one of his supporters had said, I'll meet you there and I got a car arranged for you. So he went to the airport and met the fellow. The guy gave him the keys to the car and John took it. And then John got his baggage, and they said goodbye. And on the way out of the airport, John saw the man who gave him the car walking home. Helping the needy saints. How many of you remember Ted Gorsuch? Is that his name? Ted, remember Ted Gorsuch? When we were living at the Monroe's right over here on 3rd, he... Uh, Came to see us one night. He says, I got something for you, Ralph. Okay, he went out to his Ford station wagon, lifted up the back door, and there was a beautiful new tool box. He said, that's yours. I said, Ted, I can't do it. He had how many children? Eight children. I can't do it, Ted. Yep, that's yours. Take it to Brazil. So I did. Helping the needy saints. They're all over the place. They're doing all, we're working all the time behind the scenes. We don't know who they are, and God knows, and thank God for them, that they're, they are practicing what they're preaching. I heard just this morning on, on the national news, I couldn't believe it, Bibles Internationals. A little girl received a plea to send money for Bibles to one of the countries that they serve and uh, send Bibles to, and this little girl put her Bible, put her, her doll on the eBay and sold it and sent the money to Bibles Internationals. We have a lot of lessons to learn, folks. People can really teach us a lot that we don't know yet. Helping the needy saints. What is this? How, how is the wording of it? It says, um, distributing to the necessity of the saints. There it is. Now, there's one more. That's number 11, verse 13. Given to hospitality. We all know what that is. Not everybody does it. Not everybody can. But given to hospitality. You see, in the early church, this was very important. It is today also because 
we have missionaries to house, special speakers, guest speakers, and conferences, and all of this. And we need homes opened to take care of people that come to our church instead of paying enormous amounts on hotels and motels. Peter said, 1 Peter 4, 9, Use hospitality one to another without grudging. Isn't that interesting? You see, a lot of people, you ask them if they could house so-and-so, and they might say yes, but then under their breath, they're grudging. That's kind of an interesting word. Just, just to say the word grudging is almost like the word murmur, too. You ever, ever did the word murmur, murmur, murmuring? You see, it's kind of, kind of griping. <clears throat> How's your hospitality factor, friend? How's mine? It's a, it's a test. It's a test that we need to know, Lord, and it's, uh, it'll help us know what, if we're practicing what we're preaching. Well, are you willing to take seriously these things we've talked about this morning, my dear friend? Let me illustrate with a lesson. There was an evangelist preaching in a local church, and um, his topic was, Thou shalt not steal. The next day, he got on a bus, local bus in the community, to ride somewhere. And um, he went and sat down, and he noticed that he had 10 cents too much in the change the driver gave him. He went up to the driver and said, Sir, you gave me 10 cents too much in the change. Here it is. And he said, uh, he said the driver said this, I was suspicious about religion and decided to see if this man practices what he preaches. He was in the service that night when he spoke on Thou Shalt Not Steal. The driver was. He was so impressed with the preacher giving him back this ten cents. We wouldn't think of anything about that anymore, would we? But it does mean a lot, folks. That he came back to the services, and then the next night he received Christ as his personal Savior. You see... You never know, you never know when you are practicing what you preach, what your life will do for someone else. It is so important. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for Jesus, our Savior. Thank you for your practical lessons in the Word of God that cut deep into our souls and convict us and how we thank you for that. Be with folks today here, Lord, who need your help. All of us need your help. There may be some special need. Maybe someone without Jesus that's never trusted you, so don't even know what we're talking about. Speak to hearts, I pray. And with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, are there any here that would just raise their hand and say, Ralph, I need prayer in a certain area. I... Of course, I won't share it with anyone else, but just say, pray for me. Anyone? Yes, thank you. Thank you. Appreciate it. Lord, bless these who have come to grips with these very, very important Christian principles in your word. Help as as problems are solved and as souls get right with you because of the convicting power of the Holy Spirit through your word today. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.